Hey now, welcome to Random Movie Club. I'm your host, Rob Logan. In each episode, I sit down with a co-host to discuss any movie of their choosing. The only qualification is that the movie is available to watch at home on DVD, Blu-ray, or digital. Before you listen to this show, I highly recommend that you watch the movie we're going to talk about, because we're going to spoil everything. Also, at the end of the episode, I'll tell you which movie we're going to discuss next so you have enough time to watch it. If you enjoy Random Movie Club, you can help keep it going by supporting us on Patreon. Supporters get special benefits like bonus episodes, patron-only events, giveaways, and more. Show your support for Random Movie Club and The Geek Generation by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com support. On this episode, I'll be discussing The Princess Bride with Classy Gets Sassy. Let's roll the film. The Princess Bride was released in 1987 from director Rob Reiner. Written by William Goldman, the film stars Carrie Elwes, Robin Wright, Mandy Patinkin, and Andre the Giant. Okay, classy. Hi. First question. Mm -hmm. Why did you choose this movie? I chose The Princess Bride because it's been my all-time favorite movie ever since I was a kid. I mean, it is like top three easily of all time for me. And for me, it kind of grew along with me um, because it's such wholesome humor. It's like you can watch it as a kid and Mm -hmm. laugh at like, you know, some of the silly jokes like, Stop rhyming, I mean it. Would anybody like a peanut? So it's like, you know, as a kid, you're like, ah! And then as you get older, you see the finer and intricacies of the movie, and you start to see even more of the humor. And so for me, it's like a movie that holds up with time and never gets dull. Like, it's something that I can always pop in. I know I'm always going to enjoy. And it's also one of those movies, like, if someone doesn't understand a quote that I quote from it, I'd get so judgmental. (laughs) (laughs) You must know this movie. This is one of those movies, if I make a quote, if I'm like, bye-bye, boys, you know, have fun storming the castle, and, like, they don't understand (laughs) what I'm talking about, I'm like, you're not a good person. (laughs) (laughs) You're just not a good person. Yeah, that's it. um, This is the first time I watched it in my adult years, I would say, in its entirety. Really? So I, yeah, I watched it a bunch when I was a kid, but I, it'd been so long that I forgot a lot of the movie. There are some parts that are very much ingrained oh, that yeah. stick out, and we'll talk about those as we get to them. Oh, yeah. But there's a lot of it that I'd forgotten about, too, and it was it was interesting to go back and rewatch it with, that. like you said, you notice new things mm-hmm. when you watch it when you're older, for sure. Yeah. Well, and it's one of those movies they promise you in the beginning like straight up the grandpa's like there's fencing fighting revenge true love miracles it's like literally they gave us every single one of those things like they held Mm -hmm. up to their promise all throughout and it's just oh so god yeah it is. (laughs) as i always do i go into imdb and gather a whole bunch of trivia for the movie so we can talk about that a little bit before we talk about the movie itself uh so when count rugen hits wesley over the head Carrie Elvis told Christopher Guest to go ahead and hit him for real. Guest hit him hard enough and shut down production for a day while Elvis went to the hospital. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Poor guy. And it doesn't even look like that good a hit, honestly. No. no. Like, it looks like he misses him. Yeah, but, like, I mean, it's a head thing, right? So you got to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And the back of the head can be very sensitive, too, that, like, soft spot. And that's probably exactly what he hit. Well, 
it little known fact about me that's actually where i fractured my skull like oh you know, 13 years ago yeah or wow. 14 now yeah yeah so, so you know that pain oh i know it yeah <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when asked what his favorite thing about making this film was, Andre the Giant replied without skipping a beat, quote, nobody looks at me. He felt treated as an equal without people staring at him because of his grand height. That's another aspect of what I love so much about this movie is that you could tell they had fun filming this movie. So much fun. Andre the yeah. Giant is smiling ear to ear the entire time. The entire time. And like the friendship between Patinkin and and Andre the Giant, it's like, you can tell that that's real. Like, the mm -hmm. softness and just the overall care for each other that's, you know, the chemistry in the movie, you can tell that that's, like, really in person. Like, that's why I love it so much. Oh. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't find Andre the Giant to be a very diverse, great actor. No. So everything in this movie from him is completely genuine, yeah. and I kind of love that. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> During the uh, filming of some scenes, the weather became markedly cold for Robin Wright. Andre the Giant helped her by placing one of his hands over her head. His hands were so large that one would entirely cover the top of her head, keeping her warm. <laughs> I love that. It's just, again, that sweetness, you know, and that sweetness and care from such a the camaraderie. big person. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he was he's described by everybody as like a big teddy bear. Yeah. Robin Wright and Carrie Elwes were smitten with each other during filming, naturally helping their chemistry in the movie. Elwes said that he, quote, couldn't concentrate on much of anything after that first encounter with Robin. They were so reluctant to end their time with the film that during their final shared scene, The Horseback Kiss, both of them would keep requesting another take for all sorts of made-up reasons. <laughs> I love that. I love that. But they are such beautiful people. And like, oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then Robin Wright. That was like the first time I like fell in love with her as an actress easily. I mean, it's the first time I'd ever really seen her. So, mm. of course, it's the first time I fell in love with her. But, you know, it's just like some actresses. It's like and since I've seen her since then, too, I'm like, oh, she's a powerhouse. You know, she is. Yeah, she is. And this is very early in both of their careers. Yeah. Exactly. It's it's Robin's like second movie or first or second movie. And it's Carrie's maybe like fourth or fifth. Yeah. Well, and for me, it's like Carrie. I didn't follow his career as much or like gravitate towards him as much. But mm -hmm. Robin Wright is just like she was so captivating and just like she can do anything because I mean, like you, you see in the beginning of the movie, that little bit of like bitchiness for lack of a better word <laughs> um so that little bit of just hardness and it's like in house of cards oh my gosh imagine how much of that she channeled and it's like mm. whoa yeah in a 2012 interview in new york magazine mandy patinkin said that his most famous line hello my name is Inigo montoya you killed my father prepare to die gets quoted back to him by at least two or three strangers every day of his life. Oh, I'm sure. Potenkin told the interviewer that he loves hearing the line, and he also loves the general fact that he got to be in the movie. Oh, for sure. How could he not? I mean, honestly, it's one of those things that really made his career. I mean, that made him mm -hmm. so huge. And I, I don't understand actors or actresses who, like, hate that, you know? I mean... I, I guess I understand getting sick of it, but it's like mm. that major career. So don't dog on it. You know, it's like, I get it. If it's like the one thing you've done. 
Yeah. But he's had such a long career that mm-hmm. it's like that's just one little piece of it. Exactly. Mandy Patinkin revealed that acting out an ego's quest to avenge his father's murder brought back memories of losing his own father to cancer in 1972. He said that when filming the scene when an ego kills the six-fingered man, he felt like he had just killed the cancer that killed his father. You're going to make me cry right now. There's a lot of emotional stuff, yeah. like even in the background of this movie. Yeah. And I think, that, you know, again, it's the authenticity of the movie. You know, it's like mm-hmm. that's why it's so touching because everyone is so genuine in their feelings and their portrayal of each actor and just kind of like the overall connections with each other. Mm-hmm. It's just ugh. like now I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Count Rugen wounds Inigo five times before and during the period of the film. The two cheek scars he inflicted on Inigo when he was a child, sword thrusts to one forearm and the opposite shoulder, and the knife wound to the stomach. When Inigo finally gets the upper hand in their duel, he returns exactly those wounds and no more. First the forearm and shoulder, then the cheek slashes, and then finally he kills Rugen with a thrust to the stomach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. I love it. Yeah, I know. I love when... The movies or TV shows or anything have those little details where it's just like so perfect because I'm really detail oriented in general. So I appreciate Mm -hmm. those kind of details so much and I notice them and like they're meant for me, you know, like or people Mm -hmm. like me, you know, so it's like you notice those things and you're like, oh, they're so good, you know, like, yeah, thank you. And a lot of the best stories, they kind of complete the circle. They loop back Mm -hmm. around and they wrap up all those things that they kind of introduce at the beginning or else why introduce them to begin with. So, yeah, exactly. Like I was kind of saying about the movie in general, it's like they promised everything that they promised Mm -hmm. straight from the beginning. And then also the ending, which I'm sure we can talk about. But, (laughs) you know, it's like it was the perfect wrap up. Director Rob Reiner left the set during Billy Crystal scenes because he would laugh so hard that he would feel nauseated. <laughs> I can believe it. Honestly, him and uh, Carol Kane. Oh, my gosh. They were just perfect together. Their yeah, interactions. What a pair. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Again. <laughs> and yeah, it still kind of just feels like it's Billy Crystal and Carol Kane, not necessarily those characters. Right. I'm just like, that's Billy Crystal and Carol Kane. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of doing a cameo. Yeah, but it was it was perfect. Like it was yeah. absolutely perfect for the scene and like even their own personalities fit those characters perfectly. Like totally. I wouldn't have it any other way. In order to create the sword fight, Carrie Elwes and Mandy Patinkin trained for months. Every spare moment on set was spent practicing. Eventually, when they showed Rob Reiner the sword fight for the movie, he was underwhelmed and requested that it be at least three minutes long rather than the current one minute that they had. They added steps to the set, watched more swashbuckling movies for inspiration, re-choreographed the scene, and ended up with a three-minute and ten-second fight, which took the better part of a week to film from all the angles. Yeah, I mean, that sword fight, I kind of refer to it as, like, the original Epine battle, right? Like, they're both just like, I know this, and I know that, and I know this, and mm-hmm. and here's how I counter you. And, you know, and just the interaction, even the speaking, you know, it's like the back and forth, but still with, like, utter respect for each other, mm-hmm. which is yeah. the coolest part. All the uh, fencing terms that they mentioned, too, are all real terms and real counters for those terms as well. It's all accurate. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. I I know nothing about fencing. So. <laughs> I only know because I read it. Yeah. 
Uh, Christopher Guest's character has six fingers on one hand. This means that his fingers go up to 11 in much the same way that his character's amplifier did in This Is Spinal Tap. Oh my gosh, I didn't think about that. <laughs> Weird connection. <laughs> yeah. But Oz go to 11. Yep. <laughs> no, and it's funny because actually when, you know, when I was rewatching and I was writing down notes for this movie, I was like, this is almost the Christopher Guest movie before Christopher Guest movies were really a thing. Because it's yeah. kind of like a parody of rom-coms, but like yep. still being a very true rom-com. So it's like, I was like, oh, this has flavors of Christopher Guest all over it. His vibe is there totally. Oh, yeah. 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 Lastly, inspired by and written directly for his two daughters, writer William Goldman already had a special affection for the story. However, it spent many years in development hell during which it gained a reputation for being unfilmable. Goldman was so disillusioned and protective of his book that he took the almost unheard of step of buying back the rights to his own story when it became available after a studio desk clearing. So it was bought by other studios. They were all like, we'll make this. And it just got stuck and stuck and stuck for years and years. And eventually when they were just like, we're not going to do anything with this, he bought it back. Wow. And had them make it. Wow. That's like next level right there. <laughs> I mean, that's like, I really want this movie made, but I want it done perfectly. And by, you know, like how I want it done, you know, yeah. that's like, I want to take, control of my own destiny really and i bet he's glad he did yeah no because i mean he has a classic like i said i mean it holds up throughout the ages it's just that movie you can't not love it watching it even now like i would yeah. imagine even the younger generations now even though the humor is not generally like the humor we see nowadays mm -hmm. it is a little more wholesome like i was saying earlier than i think they're used to I still, there's so much comedy and just stomach rolling laughter <laughs> in yeah, it. Yeah. So. All right. So the movie itself uh, opens up with that baseball video game. And I'm just like, wow, <laughs> things have changed. <laughs> right. Yeah. The pixels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another interesting thing, the uh, sound effects that we hear are not the same sound effects from that actual game because that's a real game, but they didn't use the sound from it. They actually created their own sounds for it. Well, and that's something else that I think lended so well to the movie is the music, the sound effects, everything mm. they used was so perfect to set the feeling, to set the drama. And it's like, I, I actually wrote down, I was like, because I went to um, a live action version of Little Mermaid where they also sang the songs like celebrities were singing the songs while an orchestra played and then the movie played in the background and they were kind of acting it out and oh, things wow. like that. It was really cool. And I was like, this movie could almost do that if there was singing involved. But that's how on key, it's like the orchestra just watched the movie and created the music along with watching the movie to the scenes because that's how perfect it was. I mean, it was just yeah. like, oh, like the drama and like when he's chasing the count through the castle it's like every single movement had a sound or beat to it and i was like oh mm -hmm. so good uh it literally takes him about like 90 seconds to frame the movie as being a story read to a kid by his grandfather they waste no time kind of getting into the story mm -hmm. and they're just like boom 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 here's the setup let's go and i i love that about this story is that they have that kind of framing device mm -hmm. and they keep going back to it because Without that, I think it gets a little too ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it is like 
where we know we're reading like this silly little fairy tale book is kind of fun. And when they chime in too, when they choose to mm. chime in, it's so perfect because it's like the grandpa knows his grandson so well. And so when he's like, she doesn't get killed at this time. And he's yeah. like, you look kind of nervous, you know, and the kid's like, no, what? I'm not. And he's like trying to Just be a like, little concerned. Yeah. It's different. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, mm, is it though? <laughs> yeah. 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 He's playing them the whole time. It's great. I know. It's fantastic. Also, their characters develop too, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's like yeah. when he stops at the end and he's talking about the kissing part or, you know, they mm -hmm. have their final kiss and he's like, oh, you don't want to hear this. He's like, wait, what? No. Like, <laughs> you know, and but it's like, like now, you, now it's time for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was just perfect. It is great. Yeah. Buttercup asks Wesley to perform various chores to which he only ever replies as you wish that whole setup. And they, they don't waste a lot of time either kind of developing the romance. There's yeah. like just a few moments and they're basically it's just like, hey, these two people are in love. Like, but let's set that up real quick. And that way, this story can kind of move forward. But it didn't detract from their love, which is no. which is surprising because you would think with such a short period of time to set it up like that, you still really feel it. You know, mm. it's like, it, you know, when she's bomb boy, fetch me that picture, you know, like mm. it wow, she really did realize, like, you know, finally that she loved him. And it was like, it progressed so quickly, but you you felt it. I mean, the, the, mm. just the chemistry between them. I mean, it was just to die for. <laughs> Absolutely. After realizing that they're in love, Wesley leaves to seek his fortune so he can afford marriage. Reports say that his ship was attacked and he was killed by the dread pirate Roberts. Yeah. I love the kids chime in here, too, where he's like, oh, pirate murder. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> like something along those lines. It was like the first thing he approved of in the story. <laughs> right. He's like, OK, we moved on from the kissing and the romance now. Finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we get some action. Good. Yeah. <laughs> but it's such a genuine reaction from a kid. Right. Like, especially like a young boy, you know, like yeah. where it's like girls like, oh, it's true love. Right. Like or, you know, talking in the general sense here. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's such a gen genuine reaction from him, too, which is great. Yeah, too. he's like, I want fighting and I want sports. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Those are the things. Five years later, Buttercup is announced as Prince Humperdinck's bride-to-be, even though she doesn't love him. Uh, when I saw Humperdinck for the first time, because I'd kind of forgotten about his character, I was like, that's the prince from Shrek. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the ki the king. It felt like they used him as an inspiration. I've read that they actually used somebody else. But, like, it's so spot on. Yeah. Well, because isn't, wasn't it John Lithgow who voiced that king? Voiced him, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, like, it looks like him. Yeah. And the characterization is very much the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. Like, the just the overall mannerisms and kind of way mm -hmm. of speaking and just kind of the overall uh, air of, you know, cockiness, basically, among which I think... Them naming him Prince Humperdinck, like, yeah, it's just like the worst name ever, <laughs> you is. know. But it's like he really is kind of the worst guy ever. So he is a Humperdinck. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's perfect. Again, I can't use that word enough. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is perfect. Everything. There are no flaws whatsoever. In my mind, there aren't. <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> One day while riding her horse, Buttercup comes across three men, Vizzini, Anigo, and Fezzik, who kidnap her and plan to kill her in order to instigate a war with the rival kingdom. Uh, I love the rhyming bit that Andre the Giant is doing. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's again, it's another 
little thing. Like you can tell he's having so much fun. He's like a mm-hmm. big kid. I know. And I love that scene so much. It's like, and I'll always, I quoted it in my discord the other day. You know, it's like I quoted it and someone was like, oh my God, that movie. And I was like, I know, right? Thank God you got it. Cause otherwise I'd be judging you. But yeah, <laughs> it's bannable. Otherwise, yeah, <laughs> yeah bannable offense. Um, <laughs> and then the interaction, even when Vicini chimes in they play off of him still and it's just like it's such fun and carefreeness you know during during kind of a dark twist in the movie which is Mm. what i think makes it even more jovial which it's it also sets them apart right away from vizzini when they're both like oh we don't want to kill her and then they're playing around and goofing around and he's like yeah exactly yeah you can tell that they have hearts Mm. that they're actually people and vizzini deserves to die (laughs) (laughs) while another boat follows them buttercup jumps into the water to escape but is pulled back onto the boat before the shrieking eels get her Mm -hmm. at first i i had to go back and look at a line of dialogue that i wasn't sure if they said i was like why did they save her if they're just gonna kill her anyway and then there is one line from vizzini real quick where he's like we have to get her to their shore so they can find her body there right so it's a proper framing and i miss that yeah. When the time's going through. So I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, because that was the whole premise is that mm-hmm. Humperdinck actually hired them to frame Gilder right. to start a war. Yeah. Right, right. Because, I mean, you know, if you're a leader, you always want a war. Of course. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why not? Like, that's a thing. <laughs> always wars. Yeah. Always. Yeah. But, yeah, the, sh- the shrieking eels, like, yeah. oh, my gosh. Talk if there's one thing that I could possibly dog on for the movie, it would be the special effects. Because <laughs> right? they don't hold the eels they, don't hold the, up so those much. Those don't hold up. Yeah, that's so true. that's the only thing that doesn't really hold up. That and the ROUSs, but Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, clearly someone crawling around in a costume. Yeah. And like <laughs> with like fine. super fakey things and like yeah. <laughs> Just like like that. Cheap Muppets. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Garbage pail Muppets. Yeah. Arriving at the Cliffs of Insanity, the three strap themselves to Fezzik, who climbs a rope to bring them to the top. Vizzini is surprised when the man in black from the other boat climbs up after them. They cut the rope, but he manages to hang on to the cliff and continues to climb. Yeah. So (laughs) when I was watching it this time around, I kind of laughed to myself a little bit because I'm like, where did they get this three, per- this like four person harness, right? Like this main harness. That's a good question. Yeah, no, like it's like, where do you buy this thing? I mean, maybe they were really kinky back then. I don't know, but like, really. Medieval Target has all sorts of stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, seriously. It was just kind of like, huh. I never really thought about that until right now where I'm trying to like super analyze this movie that I love that I've never had to analyze before. I just knew that I loved it. There are a few things in the movie where you're just like, wait, why that? And it's like, oh, whatever. It serves the story. It's fine. And yeah. it's, it's all like a goofy fairy tale anyway. So yeah. there's a lot of forgivable stuff. No, exactly. And I think, again, like you're saying where it sets apart uh, Anigo and Fezzik from mm-hmm. Vicini is... They didn't want to just like instantly kill him, you know, mm-hmm. because they respected the fact that like, hey, they caught up to us. You know, he caught up to us. He climbed all the way up here. He's almost to the top along with mm-hmm. us, you know, and Vassini's like yelling at Andre the Giant the whole time like, you were supposed to be this colossus, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's catching up. Get up here. Your job's at stake. <laughs> yeah. You want to be unemployed in Greenland? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. 
<laughs> Anigo's ordered to stay behind and kill him if he reaches the top. Impatient and eager for battle, Anigo tosses a rope to the man who climbs up. Uh, the conversation they have here between where he's on the cliff and by the time he's up <laughs> is probably my favorite part of the movie. Really? I wow. love it. I love it. It's one of the parts that I remember the most. It was so different to see a because at this point, Anigo's a bad guy. Right. As like watching as a kid, you're like, oh, these are the good guys and the bad guys because that's what you do. Right. And when I saw a bad guy sitting down with a good guy to have like a really heartfelt conversation, I was like, this is really, really different. (laughs) And it just stuck out. No, that's true. I mean, it definitely and it was a very different conversation, too, because it was Mm -hmm. very casual for something that, you know, I mean, he has absolutely nothing holding him onto this cliff and Mm -hmm. he's grasping on for dear life. And you're just randomly talking about like, hey, can you hurry it up a little bit? (laughs) No, it's absurd. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Absolutely. But yeah, it is a fantastic moment. During that conversation, we also learn the motivations for Anigo's revenge. Uh, And then they go into the absolutely fantastic sword fight that has like little comedy bits sprinkled throughout it. Yeah. Well, and, you know, again, it's like, why I think it's the original Epeen battle is because they have to one-up each other all mm-hmm. the way along. Uh, he's like, there's something I don't, you don't know. You know, I'm not left-handed, right? And he's like, but I'm not either. Ma. And yeah. then like, and then when uh, Inigo does the flip around the pole, which, yep. you know, you can see that it, like decided hand marks where they're supposed to like actually flip on this pole or whatever. But he does his one flip, then the man in black does two. You know, it's like mm-hmm. little details like that where it's like he's always one upping him. And I'm like, oh. And I did read that Mandy Patankin did everything. He did every stunt in this scene except for the flip where he goes over his head uh, like to the other side of him off of the rock. Yeah. Every other thing Mandy Patankin did. That's awesome. That's yeah. so cool. See, if I was an actor. I would want to do all my own stunts, like, or at least yeah. try, you know, as long as they weren't too extreme. Cause again, mentioned fracturing of skull, I have to be sure. very careful. But other than anything that could possibly hurt my head, I would love to do that. Would be yeah, super I'd be like, cool. Teach me how. That's half the fun of acting. Right? Yeah. It would like really get into the character, really let it be you. Mm-hmm. No, it's cool. Next, the man in black faces off hand to hand with Fezzik and ends up choking him out. Uh, it's the first time in the movie that I noticed any change in expression on Carrie Elwes's face because he is very just like same, mm-hmm. same look the whole time, which I don't know if that was just a choice or a direction or he's just so early in his acting career that like that's his range right now. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, mm-hmm. maybe uh, I think a lot of it probably was that he's just kind of doesn't have that range yet because even in the love scenes. He's still very straight-faced. He is. Yeah, but definitely uh, his reaction when the big giant comes out from behind the rock, it's great. Yeah, yeah, we finally see a look of fear. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> whoa. Breaks it. Yeah. Uh, finally, he meets up with Vizzini and challenges him to a battle of wits in which he has to choose which of the two goblets contains poison. This is whenever I think of the Princess Bride, mm-hmm. I think of this scene. Oh, yeah. No, that's why this is one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. 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 Well, and it's like they add the little bit of silly. It's like kind of the movie wrapped up into one, right? Because it's like mm-hmm. the battle of wits. 
It's also just like cunning and just whatever. And it's the great banter back and forth. Mm. But then it also has that little bit of silliness, too, because. Well, because most of his arguments don't mean anything. Yeah. They're just nonsense. Yeah. Well, that and then he's like. What's that over there? You know, like it's stupid. It's like something a it's little a kid Tunes would do. Bit. Yeah, exactly. So it's just like the whole movie wrapped up into one little scene. So yeah, it's definitely a very um, prolific scene of the movie. Absolutely. Yeah. In, in the same way that you were like, where they get that three person harness? I was like, where do you get that picnic lunch from? Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's just sitting on he the rock. Like, did he have that stashed under the rock for when he got there for later? Like, we're going to need a snack at this point in our journey. <laughs> yeah, right. Or like maybe Prince Humperdinck left it for him there or something yeah. as like part of his payment. I, I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> Could be random, anything. It, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Well, and again, with the like special effects, like the goblets are so clearly like those plastic goblets that you see in the like Halloween stores, you know? <laughs> And it's just like, oh, these are awful, but eh, whatever. Vizzini dies from the poison, and the man in black reveals that both were poisoned. He's just immune, uh, which was a great little thing. Of which, an Iocane, another thing I read in the trivia, Iocane's not a thing. It doesn't exist. Yeah, I was wondering that, actually. Yeah, they I just sh- made it up for the movie. That makes sense. Because, I mean, like, why would you want to give someone, like, the clue, like, hey, this is a odorless, you right. know, undetectable poison. <laughs> and they also need a way to, to write off, like, oh, yeah, you can build up an immunity to it. So <laughs> since it doesn't exist, no one can argue with that fact. There yeah. you go. While talking with Buttercup, the man in black admits to being the dread pirate Roberts. She's angry with him for killing Wesley and pushes down a hillside uh, on the way down <laughs> in maybe the worst <laughs> presented line in the movie or worst executed. He does the as you wish, which feels like ADR yeah. so much, like clearly <laughs> added over and done in a really weird way. But it's kind of perfect because they continue with it, you know, yes. like it's like they keep with the ooh, ah, ooh. Yeah, <laughs> so awfully. I can just imagine them in a recording booth watching the footage back, going ooh, uh, ooh. <laughs> but it's great because I think that even adds to the kitschiness of yeah. the movie. You know, like it's that's true. and and that's why it's really hard to convince me that this movie has any flaws because <laughs> you know it honestly it adds to the flavor of the movie. So don't at me, bro. You know, like. <laughs> Uh, this is when Buttercup realizes that it is Wesley because of the as you wish, which she then throws herself down the hill as well. Also funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Instead of just trying to get down the hill, you yeah. know, she's like, oh, let me just fling my whole body. <laughs> Do and, the same thing. Yeah. Like, why? <laughs> Pursued by Humperdinck and his men, the two flee into the fire swamp where they have to deal with the fire, the lightning sand, and the rodents of unusual size. Mm. This is also where Wesley tells Buttercup about how the name of the Dread Pirate Roberts has been passed down from one person to the next. He's just the current one. Right. I like that kind of angle. Yeah. And actually, something I... Um, going back to the last scene, sorry. Yeah, no, go ahead. Um, But I think that was where you saw kind of how attached Buttercup was because her reaction is, I died that day. And it's like, Mm. you feel it. You know, like, you're just like, oh, she really did. Like, she wasn't just some woman who just moved on with her life. Like, no, she literally died and had no feelings beyond that point. 
And that's the only reason she's able to marry Prince Humperdinck now because she's like, because she just doesn't care. She has no emotion, you know? And that's, it was huge. And that scene, I think that's where the like first moment where I was like, oh my gosh, she's an amazing actress because you feel it. But yeah, the fire swamp, oh my gosh. (laughs) I love, I love the fire swamp because it's just so, it's again, so over the top and ridiculous. Like with Mm -hmm. the, the fire spouts, like, what? That all look exactly the same because they're clearly using the same pyrotechnics for each burst. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's like the, you hear the pyrotechnics go yeah. off and that's like their their cue that they're coming. And what they learn is like it's almost as if they like had a debate. Do we leave this sound in or not? You know? mm-hmm. And then they left it in and just made it work. And it was perfect. Well, I mean, you can look at the whole movie and it it does take on like another dimension. If you look at the whole movie as like a bunch of people doing a stage play Mm -hmm. and each scene is just like a different, a different setup, a different, like they're literally rolling out a stage. It makes you look at the the fire as the pyrotechnics. It makes you look at the weird costumes. It's just like, yeah, of course it's a person in a costume because they're doing a play. Right. Yeah. No, very much so. I haven't really thought of it that way, but yeah. That's a great way to describe it. It's very mm-hmm. much just a stage play with like a little bit more flair. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As soon as they exit the swamp, they encounter Prince Humperdinck. Buttercup agrees to return with him if he spares Wesley's life. He agrees, but unbeknownst to Buttercup orders Count Rugen to throw Wesley into the pit of despair. And it's here that Wesley notices that Rugen has six fingers on his right hand and is the man Amigo is searching for. Yeah, that was a really intense moment, right? Because it's like, oh, like... It's almost like I'm glad he left, you know, Inigo alive because mm-hmm. he finally was able to like it's all coming together now. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it's like they were meant to meet. They were meant for all of this to happen. And even kind of like Buttercup when she basically is like spare his life. You're like, no, don't do that. But like you see that he has to, you know, that she mm-hmm. has to. And it's just like, oh, God, again, like they're being separated again. Like. Oh, it was just such an intense moment all the way around for like every, yeah. every party involved, even if they weren't in the actual scene. Right. Because Inigo is nowhere to be seen right now, but there's a moment for him here. Right. Exactly. And that's where it's just like, oh, this is so intense. <laughs> I uh, I did like around this part, too, and you had mentioned it a little bit earlier that we see the development of the kind of framing characters here. Mm-hmm. I like how the grandson's getting more and more invested at this point despite mm-hmm. not really wanting to hear it at the beginning. And then every little thing is like, oh, no, no, keep going just a little bit or like skip over this part, but get to this one. And yeah. Yeah. Or he's like, uh, what does he say around, around this time? He's like, wait, no, this can't happen. Mm-hmm. Wesley can't, you know, Prince Humperdinck doesn't get the girl. Like, you know, this isn't okay. And it's like, yeah, that's what I'm feeling, kid. You know, <laughs> before we find out it's the dream. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, he's like, wait, no, that that's why'd you even tell me this story? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the entry to the pit of despair, we see Humperdinck tell Rugen about his plan to kill the princess on the night of their wedding and blame it on the rival kingdom, which is kind of the big reveal of him being villainous, thus inspiring a war. He also orders the thieves forest to be emptied. Yeah. And it's like, uh, Honestly, you're almost like, thank God that he is a villain because I disliked him so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like you're, it's like that needed to happen, you know, because it's totally. like, yeah, because he's just such a despicable person. He's just so unlikable. 
and you're just like, oh, he needs to be bad, you know. So that that was a great moment too, mm-hmm. even though uh, even though everything seems to be in dire straits for all of your favorite characters, it's still just a really good moment because you're like, oh, thank God he's a crap person because I already felt it, you know. Because <laughs> like, even though we didn't like him, he was still the actions we saw from him. Like he's still trying to save her, so we're supposed to be right. supporting him until we find out that he's actually setting it all up right and that it was all just a ploy all along yeah mm-hmm. no exactly during this Fezzik is reunited with an and tells him that he's found the six-fingered man inside the castle they decide to go after rugen but need help from the man in black to get in they then jump to the pit of despair uh wesley's hooked up to that machine to torture him and humperdinck turns it all the way up killing him yeah so it what's so funny about like what you notice about that scene is even the little like imp person like the albino uh, yeah the albino yeah um the albino even he gets like this crazy look in his eye like joy out of the torture and it's like even those little moments you're like oh they got the perfect actor for that because like he portrayed that kind of like oh (laughs) you know about the torture moment so he delivered it so well and that's where it's like you know those again those little details are just perfect and some of that pain on his face might have been real because in another piece of trivia, mm-hmm. that actor has never watched this movie. It pains him too much to watch it because the contacts he was wearing the entire time, the contact solution was uh, he was allergic to it. So he oh, was in actual God. pain for every scene in the movie. And he said he's never watched it again because it just reminds him about how much pain he was in. Oh, my gosh. That's intense. Because mm-hmm. how he was even able to deliver the other lines if he was yeah. in that much pain. Oh, my gosh. Poor guy. I know, right? Cool. Ego and Fezzik find their way into the pit and find Wesley, quote unquote, dead. Right. <laughs> or not <laughs> all the way dead. dead. Yeah. Mostly dead. Yeah. Uh, they take him to Miracle Max, who has the ability to bring him back to life. Oh. Uh, what a scene. It's seriously. Well, because, I mean, yeah, you're, you, you, know, you go from this just gut-wrenching howl, and they're like, Oh, that can only be made by one man because he's losing his true love tonight. Right. To just this outrageous, jovial, like comedy scene. <laughs> it's like, it's such a stark difference. It was just, it, oh, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> At the castle, they give Wesley the miracle pill, which revives him immediately, believes his body in a limp state. I love all the physical comedy here, especially with like Andre the Giant, like shaking his head yes and everything. Yeah. Well, and Carrie, and also you can tell, like, as the movie progressed, he definitely got more comfortable in his character. Totally. Yeah. And so it's like towards the end of this movie, you can tell he progressed as an actor, too. And so it's like, yeah, that physical comedy like you're talking about, you could tell he was much more comfortable with his cohorts at this point. Mm. And so, you know, it's like even the little moments where he, he adjusts his head and he's like, Oh, thank you. You know, like very casually, yeah. like, thanks. You know, <laughs> like, it's just like, oh, it was so good. I mean, it was just. Would you say it's perfect? I would say it's perfect. <laughs> I was trying to avoid that word, but, you know, <laughs> just live it now. Yeah. As the wedding ceremony begins, the three scare off the guards by creating a burning apparition claiming to be the Dread Pirate Roberts and enter the castle. <laughs> The fact that he got that Holocaust cloak um, from Miracle Max, and he's like, oh, yeah, I just, he pulls it out, and he's like, Miracle Max, since he saw it fit me, he said I could have it. And it's like, 
<laughs> what? It's so random. It's the one time in the movie where we don't have to ask where he got it from because he shows us and tells us. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> um, and then also the voice that he uses when he of us all, you yeah. know, it's just like, oh, you know, you see a little bit of Andre the Giant's range a little bit there. And mm-hmm. it, was, it was a really neat kind of character moment for him, too. Inigo encounters Rugen and says his practiced line. Rugen runs off and Inigo chases after him. Fezzik knocks down the locked door to allow him to do so, but loses track of Wesley in the process. Yeah, and I think, like, going back to kind of leading up to that, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like you see those tender moments because this is so pivotal to Inigo's world that Fezzik even nursed him back to health from being a drunken loser, basically, just so that he could claim revenge you know mm-hmm. and it's like and so of course Fezzik chooses Inigo over over the black mass man uh, so the man in black you know it's like while they totally respect him it's like no this is why we came here mm. even though your true love and everything we understand and want you to succeed there as well Fezzik's like no this is my best friend in this world like i'm gonna help him yep so it was a very decided moment no it makes sense rugen surprises anigo by throwing a dagger into his gut weakened anigo repeats his mantra over and over regaining his strength until he's able to defeat and kill rugen oh such a good moment right and that's another one of those moments that you always remember with this movie Mm -hmm. because it was just like that guttural motivation it's just like guttural he got hit in the stomach oh my gosh anyway (laughs) puns intended (laughs) yeah but you know what i mean like it's just like Mm -hmm. it mustard from his toes all the way up like basically it's just like hello my name is you know and he goes after him and he's just like keeps saying it and with each swing it gets more and more intense and oh it builds so nicely yeah well and then also you see in that moment, how pure his thinking was on his revenge, if you can Mm -hmm. use the word pure with revenge. Single focused. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, he's like, offer me money, offer me land, offer me power. Right. And he's like, I'll give you all of that. And he's like, I want my father back. And then stabs him in the stomach. And you're like, yes! (laughs) It's so satisfying. Yeah. It's just like, Yes, I'm so glad that he didn't actually want any of those things because otherwise I would have been like, oh, this movie's awful. Like, it's not even near perfect. (laughs) They played me the whole time. (laughs) Yeah. In uh, Buttercup's chamber, she grabs a dagger and plans to kill herself with Wesley lying mostly motionless, stops her. Humperdinck enters and Wesley rises from the bed, threatening to disfigure the prince. He surrenders and Buttercup ties him to the chair. Yeah, so I love that moment, too. Because it's instead of to the death, it's to the pain. You know, yes. it's like a way worse consequence of, you know, Humperdinck's actions, you know, because he's like, no, you don't keep your ears. You have to listen to every cry, every moment of anguish from people looking at your disfigured body and what a horrible person you are for the rest of your life, you know? And it was like, whoa. <laughs> That's yeah, like intense. he's getting real dark beyond yeah. death. Yeah, like there's some real hatred there. Mm. And that's kind of, again, why you you know that there is such love there and that he really does have that strong of feelings for Buttercup because it's like he's this kind of 
laughable while serious still very like playful kind of character mm-hmm. all along and then it's like no here you are not okay what you did was not okay and you're gonna pay for it for the rest of your life and he had to up the ante too just to really get the bluff across yeah no exactly <laughs> yeah yeah the the whole moment where he had to like kind of muster the energy too mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because he collapses like almost right away as soon as he's tied up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. When Inigo says he doesn't know what to do now that the revenge is complete, Wesley suggests he'd make a great Dread Pirate Roberts to continue that lineage and then kind of suggesting he's going to go do the happily ever after thing. They leap from the window as Fezzik catches them and ride away on the four white horses. I love the look on Andre's and Robin's faces as Mm. he catches her. They are like, (laughs) it's like they did it 20 times and they're like, oh, we finally did it. And we're just so happy. (laughs) Right? Like, oh, it connected. And it's such a beautiful moment, too, because like when she's falling down and her gown is flowing and... It's just like when you're a little girl, you know, you're like, oh, God, she's so pretty, you know, <laughs> and and I'm not your typical girl, but I still had those thoughts, you know, like, <laughs> you know, I was like sports and hunting and fishing and everything. But then like, yeah, then I, I still had that little girl moment where I was like, oh, she's such a pretty princess. Yeah. You know? like, I, I love the it. whole, um, uh, hey, lady, thing yeah. that he does, too. <laughs> And she waves back at him, just smiling, because how can you not smile at him? Right. Well, and that, yeah, just that reaction, hey, lady, like, it's just so perfect and just (laughs) hilarious. With the story complete, the grandfather gets up to leave. His grandson asks him to come back tomorrow and read him the story again, to which he replies, again, completing the perfect circle here, as you wish. Yeah. And I, I wrote that down. I said, as you wish, at the end, such a perfect ending (laughs) 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 because honestly it like you said full circle it delivered everything it promised and it wrapped it up because you know that it means that the grandpa loves him and just Mm -hmm. wants him to feel better and be a part of that in any way he can and it's Mm -hmm. just beautiful it's absolutely the perfect little red bow tied around the box you know it is yeah so that is the Princess Bride. Yeah, that is the Princess Bride. Oh, and even reliving it, talking about it now, I'm like, oh, I want to watch it again. <laughs> 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 and which it, it, that's something about me. It's like there are very few movies I can like watch over and over and over again. But this is one of those movies I've been able to watch continuously throughout my lifetime. Mm multiple times a year and not have a problem with it and like not get sick of it and that's how i know it's a good movie you know that's how i know it's the perfect movie (laughs) (laughs) so before we end this perfect episode uh (laughs) what what can we plug for you where can people find me on the internet uh people can find me at twitch.tv classy get sassy find me on instagram under the same moniker uh twitter same moniker uh youtube i have a few videos up yeah Well, thank you for joining me, Classy. This was fun. No, definitely. I can't wait to do one of these with you again. Random Movie Club is a production of the Geek Generation. If you like this show, be sure to check out our podcasts and videos at thegeekgeneration.com, plus our live streams at twitch.tv slash thegeekgeneration. Don't forget, you can support Random Movie Club by visiting our Patreon campaign at thegeekgeneration.com slash support. As always, thanks to Michael McLeod of Wolfstein Music for our theme song. 
A link to his site can also be found on our site. Thanks for listening, and make sure you join us next time when we'll discuss Memento. See you then.